Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Malachi chapter 3. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. The word of the Lord. A Gospel reading from the third chapter of Luke. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Etruria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you, my friends in faith. Now, you did an amazing job reading all those names in Luke, and I'm not going to reference a single one of them. Well, that was impressive. Uh, today we prepare. We, we prepare, and what a great way of doing that by looking at the book of Malachi. And let's just, let's just name this for what it is. I bet if you ever have heard a sermon about Malachi, you probably don't remember it. And so I want you to hear this good news from Malachi today in a way that might spark a, a different way of thinking. Malachi, it's the last book of the entire Old Testament, and it's actually not the name of a man, even though it's a name that we hear today as, 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 uh, as a man's name. Malachi actually means messenger. And so it was probably a pen name used with dual meanings. One, that Malachi is a messenger bringing this book to the priests of Judah. Uh, but two, that there would be another messenger in the future. And that's, again, that's why this is on Advent too, as we think about what this is pointing towards. Someone who would be reminiscent of Elijah to be that great prophet of the people. I wonder who that could be. Well, as a messenger, 
Malachi doesn't always bring good news, as prophets are known to do. And so we think about that role in their lifetime and and why the prophets did what they were doing. I think about that role of being a messenger, not always bringing the good news, and I couldn't help but thinking of one of our members, John Wagner. Now, John Wagner, if you read the Forest Lake Times, you're probably pretty familiar with him. Uh, John is also one of our frequent attenders of old guys, and that's you know the, our weekly Bible study over at Keys. Anytime we start talking about the news or anything, John is a wonderful defender of journalists and journalistic integrity. Uh, he speaks about the challenges that writers have to face to cover the news truthfully. But he also is a huge sports fan. And so, shockingly, the two of us get along really well. Uh, John has a great take on what it's like to cover sports and to do it with integrity, and especially through the lens of being a fan. Now, what you might not know about John is that he has no sympathy for us long-suffering Viking fans. I know, right? We have it so rough, don't we? I know the Packer fans, you're like, oh, poor guys. You're just, but, but John has no sympathy for us if we are Viking fans. Why? And he wrote about this in this week's newspaper. He has experienced something through his life even worse than being a Viking fan. He's a Lions fan. Now, if you don't know what that means, just to give you a hint of what it's like to be a Lions fan, in Detroit, they don't learn to count 1, 2, 3. They learn to count 0-1, 0-2, 0-3. And to be honest with you, this year, if you grew up in Detroit, you would be up to 0-10 and and 1. They They somehow figured out a tie. Well, guess what? The Lions are playing the Vikings today. So... Vikings fans are filled with dread because we know this is probably the game that they're going to (sighs) win. That tension. And I know, I'm I'm looking at some Vikings fans and your eyes are just full of fear. You're like, we can't lose to the Lions. And the Lions are like, we will do everything we can to lose this game to you. Don't worry. John is not covering that game today. But he's often asked about how he can remain neutral. How can he remain impartial when he's covering sporting events? And so John said to me, he said, look, if I had a dollar for every time I've said, I get paid the same whether they win or lose, I could retire comfortably. But then there was a follow-up to that. He said, however, if I had to give that dollar back every time the listener didn't understand how I could remain unbiased, I'd be broke. You see, that's the job of the messenger, to report the truth, whether it's good news or bad news, whether you like it or not. Prophets functioned in a very similar role. Prophets didn't look through a crystal ball and say, well, this is what the future holds. They actually functioned as truth tellers about the landscape that they are navigating around them, literally to just call it like it is. And so the book of Malachi is one of those books. It's, it's a short book. It's only four chapters. And it starts by naming itself as an oracle. Now, if the only time you've ever heard of an oracle was back during the Matrix movies, it's not that kind of oracle. Not someone who can predict the future and actually have control over the future. In the Bible, an oracle is actually someone who's this divine word of God. And it's that word of God given to a messenger. Malachi, right? So Malachi... Uh, whoever is writing this, Malachi's job is to share that message from God with a very specific audience. Now, Malachi was written 
after the exile. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, you know, apocalyptic writings. We've talked about exile. We've talked about what life was like in the 500 centuries before Jesus came along. This writing of Malachi shows up around the mid-400s BC, and it's during the Persian rule. And so a lot of the generations, especially the prophets before Malachi, kind of followed a familiar pattern. And, and it, it might sound like this. The people turn to God when things get rough, when things are down. And then God rewards their faithfulness. Then the people, the next generation, forget about God, and things get rotten again. And then the prophets tell everyone, well, if you would have just continued turning to God, things wouldn't have been so bad. And then that cycle repeats. For Malachi, it's really not that different. But his message isn't just for the people. He's actually targeting the priests, the Levites, the ones who've corrupted the relationship with God. Maggie O'Dell, who's a professor at St. Olaf, or uh, uh, Professor Emeritus from St. Olaf, had this to say. She said, besides the priesthood, no other leaders are mentioned in Malachi, as if to suggest that the priests alone are the ones now responsible for the community's well-being. Well, why the priests, you might ask? Well, it's probably because the structures of, of the people that had once resided in Jerusalem, in Judah, they're no longer there. But at least the Persians have allowed them to return. The people have returned to this land of Judah, the land that they once had, the land where they once had all the structure and all of the things that, that had gone with it. However, by returning to Judah, all of the generations that had been spread out during the exile, many of those people didn't return. And for those people who did come back to Ju- Jerusalem, those who did come back to Judah, there was a lot of things kind of up against them. They faced a lot of pro- uh, poverty and a lot of rebuilding. It wasn't like it used to be. And so who's tasked with helping make sure everything's kind of structured and that the people don't forget about God? It's the priests. The priests are tasked with maintaining some of these old religious customs and rituals. But the truth is they're not at full strength. They are not equipped to face the challenges. It's kind of like the Detroit Lions having to go up against Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Probably not Kirk Cousins, okay? So what do they do? What do the people do when they show up? Well, the priests... Have, have gone, they've fallen short because they've made sacrifices to God, but they aren't given God their best. In fact, the animals that they're sacrificing are the blind and the lame and the sick animals. It's not their best quality sacrifice. And so this is what Malachi is calling out. He's calling out the priests for taking shortcuts. Whether that's negligence or necessity, Malachi doesn't make that distinction, but he just calls it like it is. So Odell tries to give these priests the benefit of the doubt. She says, although the priests are condemned for offering lame and blind animals in sacrifice, this may have been a necessary necessary accommodation to the economic and agricultural hardships of the period. So perhaps these priests don't have a choice. This is the best of what they've got. But the message from Malachi is presented in a series of questions and answer exchanges. The priests are the ones bearing the brunt of the anger from God because they're not leading the people down the right path. So what does that mean? And how does that perhaps play out? Well, running throughout these disputes are questions about whether the community or its covenant with God can survive that present crisis. The pervasive tone is this community, or more poignantly, a family that can no longer understand one another. And that really does speak to me and to our present time. Have we had trouble understanding each other? 
Is that perhaps one of our biggest problems, that we've ceased to be able to have a conversation and to hear each other? Now, being a priest in the year 400 BC is not the same as it is to be a clergy in the year 2021. Don't get me wrong. We live in much different times and in a much different context. Just imagine if the priests of Malachi's day had to deal with social media and the 24-7 news cycle that accompanied it. But what is in common is the role of clergy in leading congregations, much like the priests who were leading the people at that time. Clergy's role is to be the messenger, to be unbiased, to speak the truth. And sometimes that truth is uncomfortable, and sometimes it's not good news. And that can often lead to division, doesn't it? It doesn't mean that it's okay to be silent for the sake of our feelings. So I think about that role, and Deacon Nina and I, understanding our role as messengers, called by God, having to speak some inconvenient truths as clergy. But I tell you what, as a pastor, I have yet to say a thing from the pulpit where I haven't accepted my own responsibility to confront and to wrestle with. And if you have ever been uncomfortable with a message that I've shared, good, so have I. Because when I'm calling out sins, it's in a community, together. Now, our world is not perfect, is it? But we can only make it better when we recognize where reconciliation and where repair needs to take place. And when that happens, I love to share that news with you. I love sharing good news. You may have noticed that I have tried to intentionally show you good news, especially through the announcements in the last few months. Images of confirmation doing activities together. Images of faith members serving. Images of hope, especially when our community of believers is not all fully physically present. We are waiting, and that's okay. I think about what those images convey. Those are important images because they convey a message that through all of the challenges that we face, God is very much vibrant, active, and alive in our community. God is present in what we are doing as a church. So, what is our message for today? We are, after all, the priesthood of all believers. So this message is for us. What message are we to share? And I think about one of the other things that I do as your pastor. I share about news when someone in our, in our community has died. And in the last few years, I've been showing you a picture of that person. Because maybe the name isn't familiar to you, but when you see that image, it might spark a reminder. You might remember, hey, I've shared the peace with that person. Or I've seen them out in community. Or I've sat with them or seen them at faith break. Think about how the pictures of the saints in our lives, it's a bit of a good news, bad news. Right? The bad news of, of the sadness and the grief and the mourning of death. But also the good news of the promise of resurrection. Of new life. Eternal life. And that's truly the best news of all. So this morning I, I got thrown a slight little wrinkle because I told you about Therese. And I couldn't help but share this last message from her. 
You see, I have a message for you that was inspired by Therese. Therese loved this time of year. She loved Advent. She loved the holy days of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so she mentioned this to her daughter, Amanda. And she said, and she said this in the last week. She, she told Amanda, look, I'm so sorry. And Amanda was like, what are you sorry about, Mom? And Therese said, I didn't have a chance to buy toys for the kids. And Amanda told her, Mom, what are you talking about? My kids have plenty of toys. You don't have, that's the, the furthest thing. That, sh- that should be the furthest thing from your mind right now. We just want to be here with you. But Therese wasn't talking about her grandkids. You see, Therese had a secret. Therese would go shopping towards the end of summer, early fall, when all of the presents, uh, when all of the toys would start going on sale. And she would gather up as many toys as she could and provide those as presents for kids in the community. She did this discreetly, but she was always on the lookout for these big deals so that she could buy as many gifts as possible to share. And what that story tells me is that Therese understood the importance of giving without expecting anything in return, even that acknowledgement that she was doing it. All Therese cared about was bringing joy in times of struggle. It's a message of grace. In good news and in bad, may we treat each other with hearts filled with grace. What a very important message that is for all of us to hear on this day. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.